All right. Good morning, everybody. So good to see everyone here, and thank you to those of you joining on live stream. Uh, so as Zach said, today we are starting a new sermon series, and are we going to be able to have the slides working? Okay, great. Um, yeah, we're starting a new sermon series called Dry Bones Rising, and that title comes from a vision in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 37. You might be familiar with it. Uh, Ezekiel finds himself in the middle of a valley of bones, human bones, kind of macabre. And uh, these bones are described as very dry. And the voice of God says to Ezekiel, can these bones live? And Ezekiel gives an answer that I feel like is pretty optimistic. He says, well, you alone, Lord, know. Because, of course, the obvious answer is no, these bones cannot live. They're dead. Not only are they, they dead, they've been dead for a long time. They're, they're so dead that they're, they're dry. There's nothing to work with here. There's nothing to resuscitate. There's nothing to reanimate. But then the voice of the Lord says, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. And so Ezekiel does just that. He prophesies to these bones and he hears a rattling sound as they start snapping together and, and uh, tendons and ligaments start forming and skin starts covering them and then they form whole human bodies. Uh, but the bodies are motionless and so God speaks Again, he tells Ezekiel to pray for breath to fill these bodies. Uh, it's interesting to me that there's two stages here. Isn't often a restoration, doesn't it often involve multiple steps, right? Uh, and so Ezekiel prophesies to the breath of life to come, and the breath of life does come, and these, these uh, bodies stand up like a vast army. The dry bones have come to life. Now that vision was given to Ezekiel when Israel was in ruins. Jerusalem had been attacked and destroyed. The temple uh, was gone. And the Israelites had been taken into captivity by the Babylonians. And so this vision was a way of saying, you are going to be restored to the land. The temple will be rebuilt. Jerusalem will rise to life again. So that was the original meaning of the vision. But I think it has something to say to us too, which is this. With the Lord, even the most utterly hopeless situations can turn around. With the Lord, even the most utterly hopeless situations can turn around. After the last 14 months, I think a lot of us are feeling like dry bones, spiritually speaking. You know, obviously I can't speak for everyone. I'm sure there are exceptions, but it seems to me, in general, most people would not describe the last 14 months as a time of spiritual vitality. You know, if the life of faith includes mountaintop experiences and valleys, very few people would say, yeah, I've really been on the mountaintop with my faith over the last 14 months. And not only are individuals feeling like dry bones spiritually, uh, 
I can tell you that church leaders all over are feeling like dry bones spiritually. Whole churches are feeling like dry bones spiritually. Can these bones live? Can passion be reignited? Can our churches spike, spark with vitality? You know, if we feel disconnected, can we feel connected again to God and to each other? And the vision of the Valley of the Dry Bones says, yes, absolutely yes. Even if it seems like the answer is no, the answer is yes. Now, I just, I love the outrageousness of the reversal. You know, it's like if one of those you know, junked cars had been turned into a cube and someone said, you think we can get this thing running again? You think we can take it across country? Yes. Yes, I think we can. If dry bones can come to life, then of course. So my hope and prayer is that over the next few months, churches all across the world are going to feel like dry bones rattling together and connecting and standing up with life and vitality. And so, over the next few weeks, uh, my goal is to give us some practical steps, some things that we can do to come to life spiritually, okay, both as individuals and collectively as a church. And the thing I want to emphasize first is prayer. If we are going to come to life spiritually, if our dry bones are going to take on flesh, prayer is a non-negotiable. Non-negotiable. Uh, Acts 2.42 is a verse I'm going to come back to multiple times throughout this series. It it's, comes right after Pentecost, which we studied last. And it describes the early church. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. A healthy church, small or large, is going to be a church that is devoted to, committed to, oriented around those things. Apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and to prayer. And so we're going to start with that last one, to prayer. At the heart of a strong spiritual life is a healthy relationship with God, right? And every healthy relationship requires communication. If someone asks you, how is your relationship with your spouse? Something would be wrong if you said, well, our relationship is good, it's good. I think about my spouse all the time. When I exercise, I listen to podcasts about my spouse. Once a week, I go somewhere and I listen to someone talk about my spouse for 30 minutes. I also just ordered some books on Amazon about my spouse. One of them I'm really looking forward to. It's going to help to explain some things that I've never understood about my spouse. Right? Unless there's actual communication, something's wrong. Unless there's actual communication, dry, there's going to be dry bones. And don't get me wrong, I mean, I love to do all those things I just listed. 
Right? I'm speaking about that from personal experience. I love exercising and listening to podcasts that have to do with my faith. I love reading books about God. I like going to church. But unless I'm actually communicating with God, something's going to be off. I'm going to be dry bones. Now, I realize some of you might be thinking, well, do we really need a whole message on prayer? I mean, isn't it simple enough, right? Prayer is talking to God. We're supposed to do it. We don't do it enough. So do it more. The end. Steve, come on up for the reflection song. <laughs> if you feel that way, let me encourage you to be a little bit more curious about this subject. In the Gospel of Luke, the disciples come to Jesus when he's praying, and they say to him, right after he finishes, they wait for him to finish, they say, Lord, teach us to pray. Isn't it interesting that they ask, them, ask him that? I think that if we were to meet Jesus in the flesh, that's probably not a question that would be at the top of our list of priorities, right? Teach me to pray, Jesus. But they were curious about that. Now, why were they curious about that? Well, part of the reason is because they could see that Jesus had a remarkable prayer life. The Gospels describe him as getting up very early in the morning and going to solitary places and praying. And maybe the disciples thought, you know, it would be interesting to know what he's actually doing and experiencing because I can't get myself out of bed that early in the morning to pray. So they asked, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus answered and he said, just say whatever's on your heart. No, actually, he didn't say that. What did he say? He said, when you pray, say, and then he taught them what's come to be known as the Lord's Prayer. Uh, the most complete version of that is in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 9. So if you have your own Bible, I encourage you to turn there. This is where we're going to camp out for a while. Matthew 6, verse 9. Jesus says, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven... Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. All right, so with the Lord's Prayer as our starting point, this morning I want to offer us a list of what I'm calling modes of prayer, ways that we can pray which scripture endorses that I hope will encourage us to pray better and more often than we already do. So if you're making a list, I'm going to offer five modes of prayer this morning. And the first one, and I realize, okay, before I say this, some of you might be surprised by what I'm about to say. So stick with me as I explain this. First mode of prayer, prayer as reading slash recitation. And recitation is just a way of saying from memory, right? So what I mean by this is saying prayers that we have not composed ourselves, um, prayers that aren't just said spontaneously off the top of our head, but... Prayers like the one that Jesus gave us, the Lord's Prayer, 
or maybe prayers that have been handed down and are tried and true throughout the history of the church. Those kinds of prayers. So obviously what Jesus gave is an example of this, right? Jesus said, when you pray, say this. Now, I, don't, I think that Jesus was kind of giving us a blueprint. Like, these are the sorts of things you should pray about. But it's also clear to me that Jesus' words are very precise there, right? His words have been chosen very carefully. And I do think that he intended for us to actually be praying those words until his kingdom comes on earth. Those precise words, the Lord's Prayer. So this is, that, this is an example. The Lord's Prayer is this kind of mode of prayer. If we go back to Acts 2.42, there is a hint that the early church prayed in this way. Because if you look at the Greek, the actual literal translation of the end of that is they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And actually the ESV translation specifically puts it that way, the prayers. Okay, which means that they weren't just praying. I'm sure they were praying, but they were also saying the prayers. Okay, so things like the Lord's Prayer, probably a lot of the Psalms, right? The Psalms is the church's prayer book. Okay, they were saying these things. Now, I realize what I'm saying might make some of us uncomfortable because most of us probably come from a background where we feel like prayer is not real or authentic unless it's from the heart and it's spontaneous and we're making up all the words in the moment, right? Some of us may have grown up with that kind of impression of prayer. And in a moment, we're going to talk about that kind of prayer because I believe that's a very important kind of prayer, okay? I'm not trying to uh, discount that. But this is a mode of prayer that has been practiced throughout the history of our faith. And it's important. You know, I think that if Jesus just wanted us to pray purely from our hearts, when the disciples asked him, Lord, teach us to pray, what would he have said? Just say what, whatever's on your heart, like I joked earlier. But he didn't actually say that. I think that the advantage of this mode of prayer is that it helps to form us. When we only pray what's on our hearts, our hearts don't change. When we only pray what's on our hearts, our hearts don't change. Part of the purpose of prayer is to form us, to shape our hearts. Right? You know, you might feel really angry and you want to express that in prayer. That's okay. You can express that in prayer. But at some point, you should probably pray something like, you know, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. In other words, forgive, us my, for, forgive me my sins, God, as I forgive other people. And then that'll help you to let go of your anger, right? But if you only come to God and you just, just say whatever's on my heart, just say whatever's on my heart, you can actually end up entrenching yourself even more and more in sinful patterns of thinking, Right? So that's one of the advantages of this mode. So, I want to encourage you, if you have never tried anything other than spontaneous prayer, try saying these kinds of prayers. Um, there's something called the Book of Common Prayer, which is a collection of many of the prayers that have been used throughout the history of the church. 
you can get that for free digitally online, or I recommend actually ordering a copy of it because then you can take it outside with you and that sort of thing. And also, if you are interested in trying this kind of prayer, I have in the back of the room, on your way out on the table, there's a packet. It's called the Suggested Liturgy for Morning Prayer. And that's something that you can try if you're interested. I have found that to be a very helpful way of starting my day lately. Um, it puts me in the right frame of mind. It helps me to recognize the attitudes that I have within me that are off. It centers me, orients my heart. So I recommend that you try it. And here's another thing. I especially recommend you trying it if you don't pray. So some of us might have an idea like, oh, prayer should always be spontaneous and authentic, but we don't do it. So something like that, reading these prepared prayers sincerely can help us to actually start doing it, right? Sometimes when you can't find the words, you need someone to help you find the words. Okay, and these are words that have been chosen and used throughout the history of the church. So, that's mode number one. But we can't neglect mode number two, which is prayer as expression. This is the from the heart kind of prayer. This is the kind of prayer where we do tell God what's really going on in us. It's the kind of prayer where we tell God about our doubts, about our fears, about our, what's making us angry, and also about positive stuff, too, like what's giving us joy, what we're thankful for. Okay, prayer as expression is important. Now, you might have noticed, the Lord's Prayer itself doesn't actually emphasize this mode of prayer. But there are other places throughout the Bible that do, especially the Psalms. Uh, the Psalms are filled with expressions of the heart, sometimes uncomfortably so. If you've really read the Psalms, you've probably seen some stuff in there where you're like, whoa, okay? Uh, there's some Psalms where David describes what he wants to do to his enemies, and it's horrific. It's, it's really ugly stuff. And a lot of people have wrestled with the question, well, how can these vile descriptions of violence in the Psalms be inspired scripture? How can we say that they belong to the inspired scriptures? And this is my answer to that. I don't think they're there because they're reflecting this is a godly attitude, right? Jesus corrects that. But the reason that they're there and the reason we can see them as inspired is because they show us that God permits in our prayer life the full range of human emotion. Right? God doesn't say, you got to edit your prayers. Okay? He allows us to bring whatever we're feeling to him. He can handle it, right? and we can express that. Now, if you're expressing that you want your enemies to die and you want them to suffer horribly, at some point you should probably also pray, Lord, Forgive me my sins as I forgive those who sin against me, right? At some point, you've got to come back to that, the Lord's Prayer. But it's also appropriate to express your heart. God allows for that. He encourages that. If he didn't, then the Psalms wouldn't be there in the Bible, okay? All right, mode of prayer number three. Prayer as request. Prayer as request, right? Jesus tells us to say, give us this day our daily bread. 
In other words, give us the things that we need. It is okay to ask for stuff. In fact, you are commanded to bring your requests to God. Philippians 4.6, verse I really like, says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. How awesome is it that the inspired scriptures command us to bring our requests to God? To actually take what we care about and say, God, can I please have this? God invites us to do that. A couple verses that might inspire us to actually operate in this mode of prayer. James 4.2 says, you do not have because you do not ask. There are things that we don't receive unless we actually make an effort to ask God for them. There are outcomes that will not come to pass unless we pray. Okay, that we, see, we see that not just in that verse, but in many places throughout the Bible. Another important verse, the prayer of a righteous man and I assume a righteous woman as well, is powerful and effective. James 5.16. I think sometimes we lose faith that prayer actually makes a difference. And sometimes we need to have that childlike confidence restored. We need to actually look at those verses, take them in, Trust that they're true. You know, maybe we've lost some faith in prayer because we, we prayed and the outcomes weren't the way that we wanted them to be. Maybe we've lost some faith in prayer because we're kind of cerebral and we're, we're, we're wrestling with how can prayer even influence things? I don't understand how that would work. But whatever the case, the scriptures call us to believe, like a child, that faith that, that prayer actually makes a difference, that prayers of faith have power. Okay? So I encourage you, if you started to lose faith, if you lost that trust, go back to making the requests. Make that effort. All right, motive prayer number four prayer as confession. Prayer as confession. Part of a healthy relationship with God is recognizing the times that we go astray and actually telling him, admitting it, asking for forgiveness. I really think that if we want our dry bones to come to life, this is an important piece. You know, think about how it works with human relationships. If there's someone in your life that you have wronged, usually there's this distance that is created by that, right? And maybe that person doesn't even want to be around you anymore, right? Maybe it's a very severe distance. Or maybe something's just off. You know, you don't share as openly anymore. You don't laugh as freely. And the only thing that changes that, that, that makes that distance go away, is when the party that offended the other openly acknowledges, this is what I did, and I'm sorry. And then if the other party says, I forgive you, then that distance can be closed, right? And the same is true in our relationship with God. 
a lot of the time we will feel distant from God because our conscience is heavy and we need to come before him and just acknowledge the reasons for that. Now, the great news is that God stands ready and willing to forgive us. And he's not like human beings in that sense. A lot of the time with human beings, you can say, I'm sorry, and you don't get the forgiveness, right? But scripture tells us that if we confess our sins, that God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. But often we feel the distance because we haven't confessed. Now, just just to clarify something, okay, I'm not telling you that you must specifically state every wrong thought you ever have in every day. You'll go crazy if you do that. You'll never stop confessing, right? Uh, Martin Luther, uh, he actually almost lost his mind before he had his revelations about the grace of God because he just obsessively confessed constantly. And, you know, the priests were going crazy because he just always wanted to confess because he was afraid that if he didn't state every wrong thing that he did in every day, that if he died without having confessed that, he was going to be condemned. Okay, so that is not healthy. That is not the sort of thing that I'm advocating here. But when you feel that, that sense of, of something's on your conscience, there's that weight, okay, something that bridges that distance is to just state it before God, feel his grace, feel his forgiveness, and then that distance is bridged and your dry bones can start to come to life again. All right, one more mode of prayer. Mode number five, prayer as silence. Prayer as silence. Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. In other words, rest and recognize that I am here and I am in charge. Rest and recognize that I am here and I am in charge. Throughout the Psalms, you may have noticed that there's this word that appears more than any other word. It's the word Selah. And most scholars think that that word is a note for the director of music because the Psalms, these prayers, were usually sung. And this direction would mean the music should pause for contemplation. So throughout the historic prayers of the Jewish people, there are multiple moments where there's supposed to be silence. Silence is supposed to be part of our prayer life. One of my favorite stories in the Old Testament, if you've been around long enough, you've heard me preach on it, it's the story about Elijah and how he is restored after being very depressed and tired and weary of being a prophet. And there's this great scene where it describes how a powerful wind comes and shakes the mountain that he's on. And, but it says the Lord was not in the wind. And then there's this dramatic earthquake. But it says the Lord was not in the earthquake. And there's a raging fire. But the Lord is not in the fire. But then there's silence. And in that silence, Elijah hears a gentle whisper. And the presence of God is so powerful in that moment that he, he pulls his cloak over his face in reverence. And what that story reminds us of is that God often gets our attention in silence. 
When we get away from the noise and the spectacle, when we turn off the TV, turn off our phone, or like put it in the other room, shut the laptop, and just shut up for a little while. In that silence, there is an opportunity to sense the nearness of God and his love for us. In that silence, sometimes God will give you ideas that you wouldn't otherwise have. Sometimes he'll help show you how to solve a problem that you've been wrestling with. So make space for the silence. I really do believe that silent prayer can help our dry bones come to life. So, again, five modes of prayer. Reading slash recitation, expression, request, confession, silence. Now, I know there might be other modes too. I'm not trying to say this is exhaustive. You might be like, Ryan, where's prayer as worship? Well, ideally, all of these are prayer as worship. I'd say, where's prayer as thanksgiving? Well, hopefully that's filed under expression. Okay? But those are also important elements of prayer, thanksgiving and, and worship. Okay? So this is not meant to be everything, but this is a guide to help us out. And my challenge to us over this coming week and the weeks following, if we want to come to life, if we're feeling dry, is to make it a habit to try to do all five of these at least once a week. Ideally, we would do all five of them every day, but I want to set modest goals here. So let's try to make it a point to do all five at least once a week. And I believe that as we do that, if we're feeling spiritually dry, that will really help to make our bones start rattling and connecting and coming to life again. There's a discipline to this sort of thing. I think sometimes we think that it'll just happen, right? But, but sometimes we just have to do this, even when we don't want to. But at the same time, we have to recognize that this is not just supposed to be drudgery, right? This is an invitation. This is, a, this is an invitation into relationship with our creator, with the God of the universe. Okay, God wants to help our dry bones come to life. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you invite us into relationship with you. And Lord, I pray that we would make time, that we would make space in our lives to communicate with you, to listen for your voice. And Father, I pray that as we do that, uh, as we practice that discipline, that you would speak to us, that you would encourage us, uh, that you would fill us with your spirit, with ideas for how you want us to live, uh, that as we do that, we would sense your, your direction and your presence in our lives. And Lord, if any of us are feeling dry, Lord, I pray that um, we would find ourselves entering into a season where we really feel uh, like we're coming to life, like that vision in Ezekiel is happening to us. In Jesus' name, amen.